listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. This is the word of the Lord as written in the, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. This is the word of the Lord. And no, uh, no walk-up music today. It feels kind of weird to be up here without, uh, without the intro music, but we're stepping out of our series in the Sermon on the Mount called Foundations uh, to do something a little different today uh, because of uh, our combined worship service. Uh, I don't think there is a parent uh, anywhere who loves it when the kids are fighting in the back seat, right? I can't think of a single time when Amelia and I were raising our kids when we'd be driving somewhere or we're out at a restaurant or we're over at someone else's house or, or even just at home where uh, our kids would be getting into a, a squabble or a fight and we'd say, man, it, it, isn't that amazing? It's just awesome how good she is at counting up all her grievances against her brother. I mean, she's got such a head for detail. Or did, did you see how hard he hit her? Man, he is going to be an athlete, right? No, of course not. More often it's like, what in the world is going on? And that, can you guys knock it off? And can you just get along? I mean, that's the reality of it, right? And do you ever think in the spiritual realm, maybe sometimes is it that way with our Heavenly Father? Can we just acknowledge that in this fallen world, we have people who are part of the same family, the same family of faith, who love one another, love the same Lord, are on the same mission, want the same things for people, want to honor Jesus with our lives, and yet in, in this life from where we are now to where we're going to end up and who we're going to be, there's just a lot of things that get in the way, that get under our skin, and that cause conflict right? We all have a sin nature that gives us this tendency to be selfish. We all have things that, that we can see that other people don't see, and then there are things about us that we don't see that other people can see pretty clearly. And then on top of that, we're all born with our unique personalities and differences and preferences. You know, for those of you who are married, you know in that first year there's just a lot of wonderful joy and excitement and romance and discovery, and there's also a lot of, wait, you like that? And that's not how you cook green beans. That's not how we celebrate Christmas. No, that's not how you fold sheets. And, and, and along the way, the way we are, we just kind of all tend to think that what's right and normal for us is what's right and normal for everyone. Yes, exactly. And when you add all of those things up, our sin nature and our selfishness and our blind spots and our preferences and our differences, 
disagreements are going to be unavoidable in any family, even in the family of God. Now, we're all here in this combined worship service this morning, except for those of you who are at home, and we're glad that you can worship with us online. But I thought it'd be a good idea to look at one passage that acknowledges those challenges and offers us some help and encouragement. We're looking today at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I invite you, if you haven't already, to go ahead and open your Bibles or pull out a phone or a tablet, whatever you use to access God's Word. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6 and then try and flesh out what they mean and what we do with this. This passage is kind of a pivot in the book of Ephesians. Uh, As in a lot of his letter, Paul has started by setting this big vision of who God is and what he's done for us and who we are in Christ. And now he turns in the second half of the letter to say, so in light of that, here's how you live. Here's how you walk. Here's what your life looks like. And and he expresses it there in verse 1. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, or maybe in your translation, to live in a manner worthy of, of your calling, in light of all that God is, in light of who we are in Christ, in light of his love and his grace and and his goodness, this is what it looks like to live in a manner worthy of that calling. We live worthy when we love in spite of differences. That's what Paul wants us to take away from this passage. We live worthy when we love in spite of differences. Maybe when you hear that word worthy, you've heard this or maybe subconsciously internalize this. I think we maybe tend to associate it with the word deserve. And maybe we hear, you know, get your act together. Jesus has done all this for you, so now, you know, make sure you're worthy of it. Make sure you are deserving it. The word worthy here is the Greek word axios, which gives us our English axiomatic. And in the Greek, it had this idea of like value, of similar worth. And in fact, it was used of scales. And when the two sides balanced each other, they were axios. The one thing was worthy. It was equal to the other one. You kids can see that, right? If, if you, that's not worthy, this is worthy. So it's like two halves of the equation equal each other. When I say two plus two, the answer is four, because the two and the two make four. That's right. Thank you. What Paul is saying is who we are should be reflected in how we live. He's not saying live up to the gospel as in deserve it. He's saying live out the gospel. So what does that look like in a community of people who are different? Well, that's where he goes on to say, in the beginning of verse 3, being eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Or maybe in your translation, make every effort. He's not saying that we will agree on everything. It's not a call for uniformity. One of the things that breaks apart relationships, that breaks apart biological families and marriages and that can tear apart churches is when we confuse unity and uniformity. 
What's happening when we do that is we end up engaging in a battle to see who's going to win, whose vision is going to win out. You think back in Genesis when God creates Adam and Eve and he says the two shall become one. And sometimes in marriages, unfortunately, it's a battle to see which one it's going to be. But that's not God's plan. His, his intent is to create something unique and new by combining them. Unity is not when we all look the same, when we all agree on everything. Unity is when we are different, but our love for the Lord is so great that we choose to make those differences secondary. We make them less important than who we are in Christ. That's why he says to make every effort, to be eager. It literally means to put every effort, to work hard at it, to keep the unity of the Spirit through not agreeing on everything, not being like one another, but through the bond of peace. Live at peace with people who disagree, not by going out of our way to surround ourselves by people who are like us, but by putting effort into loving people who aren't like us. What reflects the worth of who we are and what God has done for us is when we put aside our pride, when we put aside our preferences, and we love in spite of our differences. Because we live worthy when we love in spite of our differences. No matter how strongly we feel about certain things that we hold to, no matter how many frustrated and offended we may get, it, it's not optional. It's not extra credit. Paul says, I'm urging you, I'm telling you to do this, to make every effort. Be eager. It, it, it's this Greek word again for extreme exertion. We all love God, we're all on the same mission, we, we all want the same things generally, but we're in a dangerous place if we think it doesn't take effort and intentionality to build and live towards unity. Because if I don't recognize that it takes effort, then when something goes the wrong way, when you hurt me, when you offend me, when you wrong me, everything inside of me is going gonna, is gonna to want to hold on to that. We're going to want to nurse the grievance. We're going to want to get even. We're, we're going to want to take vengeance. Paul writes this in Romans 12. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The fact of the matter is, it's not always possible. And Paul is recognizing that. And, and sometimes you do all that you can and, and the other person is not willing to live at peace. And you see it in families, you see it in marriages, you see it in the church. You hold out an olive branch and it gets knocked out of your hands. And at the end of the day, the issue is not that we're all together. The question is, have I done all that I can to maintain unity? Uh, have, I, have I been careful not to pour gasoline on the fire? As far as I am able... I have taken the steps that I need to to be at peace with this person. Now, that does not mean you go to people and say, hey, here's another knife to stab me with. Or, wait, back up the car, because here's a part of me you didn't run over yet. God is not telling us to put ourselves in situations to be abused. But in the relationships of life, honestly, I, most of us, could probably go farther than I typically go Unity is never easy, so Paul says, make every effort 
This is important. This is what Jesus prayed for us. Because we live worthy when we love in spite of differences. And the good news is we are already united. Look in verses 4 through 6. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. And that's amazing, isn't it? Jesus says, I have made unity possible. You are united around the things that ultimately matter. Now I want you to work to express that in how you love one another, how you value one another. And I think it's helpful for us to remind ourselves of these things in verses 4 through 6, especially when we're tempted to engage in conflict or get sideways or, or walk away or write people off. Remind yourself, this person belongs to Jesus. This person is loved by God. This person loves the Lord. They want to honor the Father. They're led by the Spirit, even if we disagree about something. This is my sister. This is my brother. The Father loves them. Jesus died for them. The Spirit lives in them. So practical steps. How, how do we work to maintain unity? And I want to spend the rest of the time just looking at these expressions that Paul gives in verses two and three. To walk with all humility. Or again, in your translation, it may say, be completely humble. Pride kills unity. It shows up in, in all these ways, right? There's a thing in the body of Christ, you know, where, where we have this need to feel like for some reason we're, we're smarter or we're more committed than others in the group, or we're better than people in other groups that aren't part of our group, that our church is smarter or better or more faithful or more mature or more committed in some way. Why do we do that? Why, why, why do we have this need to sort of establish that somehow I'm better or we're better or we've got it all figured out? We're just a little more mature than those people. We love Jesus just a little bit more than those other Christians. I'll acknowledge it is a besetting sin, a dangerous temptation for people in my role and in Joey's role and, and other preachers and pastors, seminary professors, Bible teachers. We, we kind of want to establish ourselves, right? We, we want to have a name. We want to have a platform. We want to be known for our, for our excellent instruction, our gifted preaching, our, our wise insights. And, and if we're not careful, we, we end up in this proud position, saying, you know, I've got the right answers. The church is really lucky to have me. And everyone else who doesn't see it my way, well, you know, they'll maybe get there someday. And at the heart of it is just pride. When Paul calls us to humility, he's not saying have a low opinion of yourself, right? Okay, there's some bad ideas about what it means to be humble out there, like we're supposed to look in the mirror and, and hate ourselves and say, oh, you know, I'm terrible, I'm miserable, and we're supposed to devalue ourselves. No, that's not what biblical humility is. Biblical humility is, is having an accurate perspective of ourselves. 
Again, back in Romans 12, Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment. We all have inflated views of ourselves in certain areas, right? Things that we're really good at and we're proud of. Some of you kids, maybe you're good at sports or you're good at reading, you're good at writing, you're good at art, and, and those are wonderful gifts. The, the danger is when that starts to make us kind of think more of ourselves than is right. Humility comes with an accurate self-assessment. When, when I can look at other people around me and say, oh, you know, that guy's better at me, that guy's more gifted, that guy's smarter, that guy works harder, that, and instead of beating myself up, instead of having to tear them down, instead of having to boast about what I'm good at that they're not good at, I just say, I'm glad God made you that way. I'm glad God gave you those gifts. I'm glad for who you are and for who I am. Because biblical humility also flows out of an awareness of our own shortcomings. You remember that image Jesus gives us in Matthew 7 of uh, talking about not judging others uh, like a person who has a log, a two-by-four sticking out of their eye and they want to go around and find the person who's got a little speck of sawdust in their eye. And, and I go around with this log sticking out, but, but I'm trying to find the little speck in someone else. Here's a helpful image I ran across. The, the more that I use the Bible as a mirror instead of a pair of binoculars, the more humble I'm going to be. Does that make sense? If my position with the Bible is I'm holding it up in front of me, so God's word will reflect back on me to show me what I need to get right. It's a very different position from looking over God's word to judge other people. And, and it becomes the binoculars that I use to inspect everyone else. Proud people use the Bible like a pair of binoculars to inspect other people, to judge them. Humble people read their Bible and let it reflect back at them and say, oh, Lord, I need you to help me fix this. I, I need you in this part of my life. That leads us to walk with gentleness and patience. I don't know about you, but I sure can get frustrated and impatient with people who don't know what I don't, don't know what I know, aren't where I am, haven't seen what I've seen. We're impatient when we forget that all of us have been on a journey, and we're on a journey. You know, for example, it comes to theology or doctrine, and, and someone's over here and they have this understanding of kind of how God works in our lives and then maybe they hear some different teaching or they read some passages differently or they get exposed to uh, a different perspective and all of a sudden they move over here and what happens a lot of the time? They, they become really judgmental to the people that were back over there where they used to be just a little while ago. And, and you look and you go, well, well, you used to be over there. And, and people were patient with you when you were over here. So can you show some of that same grace and patience and kindness to the people who were still over there? I mean, kids, if you think about it, I remember when I was little, uh, you know, you go through all these stages of learning all kinds of things, right? You learn how to feed yourself. You learn how to dress yourself. You learn how to tie your shoes. You 
You learn how to read. You learn how to add and multiply. And man, sometimes there's a temptation to look down on younger kids. To, oh, you don't know how to read yet? Oh my gosh, I was reading when I was your age. Or, what, you still sleep with your blanket? I can't believe you still sleep with a blanket. I gave that up days ago. <laughs> and even if somebody is wrong about something, even if somebody you know, does need to be corrected, gentleness and patience means that, that we look at them to listen and to understand, not to come up with an answer to prove them wrong. But because, you know, if, if you were over here and now you're over here, you learned something that, that helped you grow in some area or see same things differently, that means you changed your mind because you learned something different. And what if that happens again? It could happen again. You could learn something else new and, and change and end up seeing something different over here. So practice patience in the way that we respond to people who don't quite see things the way that we do, who don't get what we get or see what we get, not assuming that we have it all figured out. You know, it's really easy, right, to listen to people that we disagree with or that we think don't have it yet, and what we're listening for is not understanding them, not helping them, but we're listening for the weak points in their argument. You know, so, so sometimes we can sort of jump in and prove them wrong and, and, and dump the load of information on them that will show how wise and knowledgeable I am. Marriages and friendships, church, just think what it would be like if instead we're listening to understand, we're listening to connect, we're listening to love, not listening to rebut. Because we live worthy when we love in spite of our differences. Bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. You know, another thing that kills unity is when we assume that whatever God has called me to do is what he obviously wants everyone else to do. And we project ourselves, we project our gifts, our preferences, our passions onto other people, and, and then we can tend to get upset that they're not me, right? Right? The body of Christ is made up of hands and ears and feet and heads and mouths and, and all of it. And, you know, the eye looks at the feet and says, what's wrong with you that you can't see? And, and the feet looks at the hands and says, what's wrong with you that you can't get us over to the other side of the room? And, and, and the hands look at the ears and say, what's, what's wrong with you that you can't grab that cup of water? But it's all together. It's when we are all together working with each part, doing what it's supposed to do, that we are the body of Christ. And we can accomplish what God intends for us. That's why we bear with one another in love. Because, you know, man, sometimes I can bear with others, but not with a lot of love. I remember at our old church uh, one time I was, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of support staff. I was sort of a jack of all trades and that meant I was internet tech support, which I don't like doing anyway. And I especially don't like it when my wife calls to interrupt me when I'm in the middle of something. And I would tend to let her know that. And yeah, I would answer her question. I would bear with her, but not in a very loving way. There's a way that we can bear with one another that's 
loving in a way that's not as patient and gentle. Some of you, you you have wonderful gifts, for example, in uh, helps and mercy, and you show up and you do your thing and you serve, and sometimes if we're not careful, we can be telling ourselves, man, how come there aren't more people here doing this? Why aren't those people serving the way I'm serving? Man, evangelists, ugh. I'm so thankful for evangelists, and, and it's not even intentional, but sometimes I feel like I just feel guilty somehow or convicted that I'm not as evangelistic as evangelists are. And, and sometimes evangelism, evangelists can kind of make you feel a little bit like that. Like if you really love Jesus, you'd be out there doing it this way with this thing. And I mean, let's just be honest. We, we all kind of struggle with this, right? You just don't get a platform like pastors do to try and make everyone else feel like you should be like me. Gift projection is one of the things that destroys unity that we have to fight against. This is something that God has called me to. This is something that I know God cares about. This is, this is what God wants, and it, and it becomes, this is the thing that God wants you to do and the thing that you have to be focusing on, the thing you have to carry about, care about. I mean, the, the church has a, a thousand, a million assignments in God's mission. And when we all do our assignments, the body is working together. And Jesus is lifted up and glorified in, instead of us as individuals. And it's when we're all working together that the church is active and fitted and moving in the direction that God wants and reflecting what he is like. I mean, we don't, none of us like it when people put their expectations or their demands or their judgments on us. And Paul is saying, so let's not do that to other people. That's why we make every effort, because sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. Be completely humble, be gentle, be patient, bear with one another. All of those are, did you notice, are they... Being words or doing words, kids? Is it be or do? It's doing, yes. Those are active words. Be humble. Be gentle. Be patient. Do it. Take action. Make it happen. It's not saying feel gentle, feel loving, feel patient. Take steps to work this out. Love says, you know, right now I'm tired. I don't want to deal with this. I, I don't want to answer that thing. But I'm going to ask Jesus to help me be gentle and humble and patient and respond in the way that he would respond. That's what love is. And, and none of this means there's no place for confrontation. There's no place for disagreement. There's absolutely a place for that. But when it's done, we do it in humility and love and patience and kindness. There's room for disagreement, there's room for disputes, there's room for differences, but Paul is saying, oh, what if we did that? What if, what if our effort was invested to make sure we're doing that with gentleness, with patience, with humility? You know, when Jesus picked his uh, 12 disciples, his inner circle, one of them was named Simon the Zealot, and uh, the Zealots were considered basically a, a revolutionary terrorist organization by the Romans because they were committed to the violent overthrow of the Roman oppressors. Another disciple was Matthew the tax collector who was 
literally the exact opposite. He was a collaborator with the Romans. He worked to support and bring in money for the Roman occupation. They couldn't be more different, more, for, more far apart socially, politically. It's, it's not like, you know, one of them changed their minds. Matthew didn't become a zealot and Simon didn't become a tax collector. They just had to figure out, following Jesus, how to love one another, how to get along. I mean, do you imagine he, I bet he probably had them room together on trips, right? He brought together ordinary fishermen and educated Pharisees. He brought together men and, and women who in that day weren't even considered that they could be a rabbi's disciple. And, and they were among his disciples. What if, what if Jesus Christ was so worthy and, and our goal was so much to live in peace and unity with one another that, that like Simon and Matthew, the extreme right and the extreme left on the political agenda could come together in love and follow Jesus together, even be in the same small group together. There's only 12 of them. You know, there, there's criticism that we get sometimes, of course, as Christians for, you know, why are there so many denominations? Why are all these fights? Why all these divisions? Different churches, different ministries. And sometimes it's tempting to think, yeah, you know, man, if we just love Jesus more, there, we wouldn't have any of these divisions, and we wouldn't have any of these distinctions, and we just all lived in unity, and I, I don't think that's probably it, actually. I, I don't think the problem is having different denominations or different churches or different priorities or, or different uh, expressions of following Jesus. The problem is when we judge one another because of those things. What Jesus is asking us to do through the bond of peace is to acknowledge and accept our differences and to love one another because Jesus is greater than, than any of those differences. And if we did that, then people would look at the denominations and the, the different ministries and churches and say, how awesome Jesus must be. Because these people don't agree, but they love one another. They respect one another. They speak well about one another. You can tell that they like each other. You can tell that they're friends, that they enjoy one another, and, and that what unites them is bigger than what divides them. That must be an, an amazing Savior, an amazing God to do something like that. A God that could bring together Jew and Gentile and black and white and rich and poor and tall and short and thin and stout and all of it. All of it. And to say, those things matter, they're a part of who we are, but none of it is as important as who we are in Christ and maintaining the bond of unity, maintaining the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. When we live that way, when, when we make that our goal, when we're eager to do that, then people will look at Jesus and say, what a great Savior He must be. What a great Lord He is. I would like to know about a God who could help me live at peace and love people who are different from me. May that be our call and our intention that we would be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace because we live worthy when we love in spite of our differences. Let's pray. Father, would you take these things that we have looked at today in your word and would you help us to see them not through the lens of whether other people are living up to it or not, but 
through the mirror of your word, how we can grow, how your spirit lives in us to help us be more humble and gentle and patient. Oh Lord, when we don't get along, help us. Help us to not fake peace, not to run away from peace, but to seek peace for your glory. That Jesus, that Jesus would be made much of. We pray it in his name. Amen.